0: It's extra drama for book number 59, In Love Again. Hello, gladiators. Welcome back to a bonus episode of Sweet Valley Diaries. We do the bonus episode every other week after we read the main book. I haven't uh, like reset the idea of extra drama in a very long time, but that's what it is. And there's always more to say, you know, there's always more to say about the books and about the world. And I am joined once again by Libby Hawker. Hello, Libby. Hello, I know you said you were a Jessica, but one very Elizabethy trait that you have is that you are a writer.
1: True, I am. I am a professional novelist. I make all my living from writing books, so yes.
0: That's so cool.
1: It's <laughs> super fun.
0: And in particular, you <laughs> write historical fiction, correct? Yes.
1: Yeah, I do. Have you ever written anything set in the 80s? I have not. The closest I've gotten is 1975, so getting fairly close. close yeah it is pretty close but um but no nothing in the 80s i mean technically the 80s are not historical fiction yet for the adult market that makes sense i mean it yeah. was a long
0: time ago but it was you know 30 to 40 years ago right it's like nostalgia yeah. i mean there's a difference i would say just as a non-professional as a consumer a difference between the sort of like nostalgia for an era that we lived through and remember Uh, or that much of the population did versus like time gone by you know
1: yeah exactly so the the cutoff just from an industry standpoint is uh if it was set 50 years or longer prior to the date it was written then it's technically historical fiction and if it's sooner than that then it's technically not so even my 1975 book is technically not historical fiction but like it's close enough so whatever
0: yeah yeah soon (laughs) i mean i guess if you just kept it in the
1: hopper for just like four more years (laughs) yep Uh, what are some other eras that you've written about um i've done a lot of 19th century kind of frontier stuff and i have more of that coming to uh with some future books that are under contract but not published yet and i've done a lot of ancient history too i've done like 10 books set in ancient egypt and a couple other sort of ancient settings and i have one world war ii novel as well so yeah kind of bounce around a little bit. That's so cool. One of the things that came up in
0: the main episode was the way that so every once in a while in these books, there's something that is just like so of its time that pops yeah. up. In this book, it was not just the existence of like car CD player, uh, which, you know, we do still have in the modern era, but the way that it was a signifier of like extreme luxury and wealth. Yes. Uh, I sure didn't have a CD player in 1989. I don't remember when I got my first CD player, but it was quite a few years after that. I mean, I was also six, so I wouldn't have had a CD (laughs) player. But like in our household, it did not exist yet.
1: I remember I would have been in fourth grade, so it would have been probably 1990, 1991. That was when the first kid in my class got a CD player at home. And I remember he got it for Christmas, like his family got it as their big family gift and everyone in the class was like oh my god you have a cd player that's so cool like we were all losing our minds over the fact that we knew someone with a cd player and this was like a couple of years after this book was written so yeah a cd player in a car in 89 would have been just like crazy wealthy yeah yeah
0: yeah well not to get on too much of a detour here but do you remember what your first cd was or like first oh, couple yeah cds I sure do, it was Nevermind
1: by Nirvana, yep.
0: (laughs) Oh, cool, very cool. Um, My first Nirvana CD was in utero. I was, uh, had a, like, Columbia House membership, or, like, BMG or whatever, and I remember my mother had to write an angry letter to them once um, because I I was having trouble like, canceling, and they were like, this this person is a child! Like, she let me have it. She was like, you can try it if you think you can... It was like having a pet or something, but I got, like, ten CDs for a penny or something, and I got Aerosmith's big ones, and I got uh, Mariah Carey, I like it was like every every artist that I could like that I recognized who they were was like yeah. how I how I amassed my ten CDs. But no no no, my first CDs, I think my very first CD was like a Beach Boys Greatest Hits album,
1: <laughs> nice. and then I got a,
0: I had uh, Weird Al Yankovic's The Food Album, which is a compilation of oh, yeah. like, his songs that are about food. I remember so that my first couple
1: couple <laughs> CDs. <laughs> Um, ah, those were the days.
0: <laughs> well, but the reason that I was thinking about those little details—that's that's a real delight in reading these books. But of course, those are contemporary to when these books were written. You know, they uh, are part of. That's like part of the fun, right? Is this like rich details that made made more sense when they were put into the book than they do now and yeah. like, what that tells us about the time. But I can imagine that there's a lot of like research that goes into giving your historical fiction books that kind of richness.
1: Yeah, I do do a lot of uh, detail research for them. Yeah, and, and I don't do it ahead of time when I'm writing because if I stop and, you know, if, if I spend too much time researching, then I'll never actually write the book, you know? Sure. <laughs> so I, I do the research to kind of get a foundation for sort of what's going on with my setting Um, politically and socially until I can sort of figure out what my main characters are kind of doing with that stuff in the background to their lives. Like how do they relate to, you know, is there a war going on or what kind of, uh, you know, like when I've done um, some frontier fiction, like who's being displaced by colonization and how is that going to, uh, what's that going to look like in this location where my character is? Like, are people going to be moving through this area or are there going to be conflicts, you know, whatever. So as soon as I sort of figure out all those sort of bigger picture pieces to the puzzle, then I start writing the book. And then what happens is I'll be in the middle of a scene and I'll be like, okay, I need to I need to add some color here to make it feel mm-hmm. authentic. So then I'll stop and just kind of research long enough to come up with just those little tidbits that I need to drop in to make it feel Like an actual setting. So that's how I manage it that way. And I. I'm so glad to be doing this job in the modern era when I have access to, like, Google and stuff. Because if I had to stop and go to a frickin' library every time I needed one of these details, it would take me, like, years and years and years to write a book. <laughs> it just takes so long. <laughs> that's that's such a good
0: point. All that is so interesting. I do. I suppose, though, if we lived in a different era, it would be harder for other people to do the work that would be required to, to like, <laughs> fact-check you,
1: right? Yes, and they do fact-check. Uh, I get emails and reviews all the time that are like actually you got this detail wrong and like most of the time i did not get that detail wrong (laughs) (laughs) you're just mistaken about it so yeah that that's one of the many job hazards of being a historical novelist is i get like probably three or four emails a week where someone's like you got this thing wrong and i'm like (laughs) am i gonna argue with this person or am i just gonna delete the email it's like 50 50 it's a coin toss every time it happens oh wow (laughs)
0: Um, I I worked for a producer for a while who also uh, had written a book that was set in 1941. And like the only historical detail emails or comments that she got were about weapons. Like, it was always just about, like, whether or not a particular person would be carrying a particular gun in this place at this time, or, like, how the gun was loaded, or, like, some sort of logistical, like, historical arms-related issue.
1: Yeah, the historical weapons people are super nerdy about their thing, and they will always try to call you out on stuff all the time. And, you know, the only way you can respond to that is, it's fiction. Like, yeah, I'm not writing fact. I'm not writing biography or whatever. Like, it's fake. It's a made-up story. So I faked it. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. That's good. That seems very healthy. Well, so how was it different <laughs> to write about 1975 then? Like, um, such more recent era?
1: Um. I liked it a lot. It was a real departure. It was so much easier to research all these details that I needed. What was really nice is I was able to actually contact some people who had been, like, teenagers and in their early 20s in the specific town I was writing about during this time period. Yeah, so I was able to say, like, hey, can you help me out? can you tell me like do you remember was the pool in the park at this time or did it get built after 1975 and they were like oh no i was 15 in 1975 and i had my my 16th birthday party at that pool so i remember it was there i'm like yes (laughs) this is so it's like the easiest research i've ever done (laughs) so (laughs) it was nice to be able to get that kind of sort of immediate feedback from people who had really clear memories of that setting it was really it was great and then i also like i made up a fake restaurant for this town and my copy editor was like I can't find any documentation of this being a real restaurant in this town. Like, you need to verify this. I'm like, it's fake. I made it up. Like, I appreciate your diligence and your attention to detail, but also, it's fiction. Oh, <laughs> it's well, fake. that's especially funny
0: given our our Sweet Valley High focus, like the main our main focus here, just to bring it back to Sweet Valley High, because... Like, can you imagine some clerk somewhere fact checking any, I mean, like, there's nothing there's, we have had a, this whole big debate recently, you know, or I say recently, but it's been ongoing since the inception of the podcast about where is Sweet Valley. Yeah. And while I, you know, I was really excited when I got this clue that they had to, Go north to get to Los Angeles, yeah um, then somebody wrote to me about some other book that they read where the Sweet Valley was between Los Angeles and like Santa Barbara or something. And now we have Sheffield Eastman going to work in Santa Barbara, and oh, in this book, uh Courtney Kane invites Todd to a Lakers game, which yeah, is a moment that never gets returned to, but <laughs> he says maybe.
1: Yeah. And then she takes that as an actual date. She's like, I have a date with Todd. <laughs> yeah. She goes and
0: tells Dominique. But it's like, I, if I were Dominique, like, let's can we talk a little bit? I'm sorry. This is really all over the place.
1: Can we talk about Dominique Roy for a second? Who oh, is yeah, she? Oh, yeah, definitely. What's her Who story? Is she she, uh, she is an enigma. Dominique is uh, the the Judas Iscariot of Sweet Valley. <laughs> I just I love the scene. <laughs> I love it so much where she's like Courtney, you can't cheat in the battle of the schools. That's that's wrong to cheat. And then Courtney immediately is like, I'll give you that sweater you like that's black with a green border. And Dominique is instantly like, Yes, I will cheat with you. And I, I left in my notes that, that uh, as thirty pieces of silver were to Judas, so is a black sweater with a green border to Dominique Roy. So. Yeah, she's a, she's a mystery, but, you know, she is Courtney's reliable henchwoman. That That's really beautiful. That, <laughs> no, that sounds like an author's commentary.
0: Uh, um, was it different reading? A, I know you've been reading Sweet Valley High novels. Was it different reading it, knowing that you were going to come talk about it on the a podcast? A little bit.
1: I mean, I was definitely paying more attention to ridiculous things in it. I was, like, highlighting a lot. Yeah, it's so yeah. I
0: I what I've been doing lately is like dog-earing pages and then going back to the dog-ears because what inevitably happens with me is that at the outset of the book I flag everything. I'm like, people are going to need to understand, you know, the listeners will want to know all about, you know, this is the recap of the last book. And this is what and then as you go on, it gets much less frequent. And then when I go back and see everything that I marked, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to say all of that. (laughs) I mean, that might not, it might be surprising to hear considering how many readings uh, that there are, especially in our in our last episode, the book 59 episode. But yeah, I don't have... I don't have anything as poetic as that in my notes for this one. Um, <laughs> I have... I think my best... one well, my best note just says Courtney Kane straight-up Bond villain speech. which is...
1: <laughs> It's true, though. It's true. I love how evil Courtney is. She just goes full bore. She fully commits to this role of being the villain. And I just love it. Yeah, it's kind of nice. It's nice to have
0: the extra layer of richness of snobbiness of like evilness like to just sort of amp it up a little bit and make it makes sweet valley seem relatively normal by comparison even though what happens yeah, in relatively. Sweet valley from week to
1: week is is so outlandish so yeah i i do love the way i mean you can kind of feel in this book especially the ghost was like how do I make these rich kids seem like they're terrible for being rich when we've already established for 58 other books that pretty much everyone else in this cast is also a rich kid. Like how do, how do I up the ante on these particular rich kids? And their answer to that is for uh, one of the, one of the girls to ask Lila why she doesn't go to love it. And she's like, daddy thinks I need to understand what it's like in the real world. So that's why she's at a public school. Like, first of all, Sweet Valley High is not the real world. <laughs> My right. God, everyone here is hot and perfect, a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It's not the real world.
0: <laughs> Jessica turns that observation. It, I don't know if she voices this out loud, but when she's thinking about going to love it, she's like, "I think I'm good on real world. <laughs> I don't think I need to learn any more about the real world." Um, <laughs> yeah this is a town where we don't even know where it is. So then the idea of like, what about this dairy burger? You know, oh. <laughs> like, where could that be? Like, is that, is that a real representation? They, they, um, I think these books were written on the East coast, I believe. Um, yeah. About the West coast. And I think that it shows sometimes and they try to cover oh, yeah. their asses a little bit, but like there's a part at the country club where, Elizabeth is observing that everything is like covered in mahogany and that it doesn't, it seems more like something from, I don't know, the Hamptons or something than, than what you would see in California.
1: It feels like an East coast person's vision of what California is like. like the, the weird obsession with clams. I mean, there's so many clams mentioned throughout all of sweet Valley high and like I've been West coast my whole life No one eats this many clams. No one's into clams like this out here. It's so weird. I had some mussels recently. Yeah, mussels are okay. I just like, we don't get that into clams. We don't have clam bakes. We don't do clam digs. Like they do that on the East Coast. And out here it's like, whatever. Clams will squirt at you when you walk around on the beach. And that's all anybody thinks about them. (laughs) It's just like not part of the culture here to, to eat clams that much. No. I I briefly started a hubbub on Twitter several months back when I did a whole thread on the hot clam special in Sweet Valley High and how, how it haunts me because I was rereading one of the early books where they first described the hot clam special and it's like being eaten with a fork and it's a mixture. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this? <laughs> I it's thought it was fried gross. clam strips. It's so, ugh, clams. It's, anyway, sorry. Yeah, and then,
0: you're, then you start wondering, like, did... The authors even know what they were describing. <laughs> I don't
1: think yeah. they
0: did. Gladiators. In case it's unclear, when we were talking about the hot clam special at Dairy Burger at the end of Book Fifty Nine, that was a joke. The hot clam special <laughs> does not come up in this book. The hot clam special has never returned as being explicitly mentioned. They're always eating burgers and milkshakes. Um, a lot of burgers and milkshakes at the Dairy
1: Burger. But but somehow I feel the hot clam special is always lurking in the background.
0: It's waiting I, for me. I like that. It's, it's <laughs> it adds a certain richness uh, to their obsession with the dairy burger, which really is a. It really does have a lot of metaphorical resonance for these books. Like, what does the dairy burger as a place mean? It represents being down to earth. It's yeah. uh, kind of blue collar, but it, which is ironic because it's not. It's only blue collar in the sense of love It academy being white collar like it's not literally blue collar it's because yeah you know the wakefield's parents are a lawyer and a interior designer um, right right so but it's just like normal like quote unquote like regular people stuff
1: yeah um, in, in terms of world building from a writer's perspective the dairy burger is definitely like sort of the anchor point for like normal American teenage life. Like that's where the characters always sort of retreat to when they need things to come back to normal, they go to the dairy burger. So it is, it's kind of a good device from a writer's perspective.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then that metaphor is honestly built into this book because there's that scene where Todd is coming to meet Elizabeth at the dairy burger and he's half an hour late. And, you know, then they get into the fight and they break up and it's, it's like, this is the place that you claim to care about, Todd. You know, you said you'd rather be. They leave the party. They leave Corny yeah. Kane's party and don't have the dinner that they're all supposed to have together, uh, and instead go to the Dairy Burger. Yeah, like, it represents like just normal people stuff.
1: Yep, it's the Dairy Burger is the the paperback version of sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze. So yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs>
0: You mentioned your Twitter. Do you want the Gladiators to be able to find you on Twitter, or we don't? Sure, if you want to.
1: Yeah, no, (laughs) if not. (laughs) I'm I'm on Twitter at the Libby Grant and on Instagram at uh, Libby Hawker. L I B B I E H A W K E R. So yeah, you can find me there.
0: Fabulous, and I hope that you will find Libby there, Gladiators, and you can find Sweet Valley on Twitter at Sweet Valley. And sometimes there's some crossover between <laughs> what Libby tweets and Sweet Valley, like when she's tweeting about hot clam specials. Indeed. Um, <laughs> for my own sanity, I don't look at Twitter on a daily basis. So yeah. sometimes I'm a little bit late to the to the tweet storm
1: parties, but um <laughs> it's all right. It's better that way. Twitter is a hellscape.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a tweet recently on my my own personal Twitter, which is at Flaxbart. Um, I joined Twitter really early. I was like an early adopter of Twitter and like I feel like I wrung everything I wanted to wring out of it a long time ago. And then I had a face that was like I was using it exclusively to like complain about companies being bad because you could get attention right from corporations by tweeting about them. That time is mostly past now too. And now yeah. I go back and I remember sometimes like, Oh, this is fun. I'm looking at the tweets. I love it so much and I every single time I get to a point where I'm like, Oh, and I have to close the app now because I'm angry. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like I have made myself either depressed or angry and it's it's time to take a break now for for the next week or whatever it's gonna be. Yeah, Twitter <laughs> sucks. Yeah. For sure.
1: I'm really only there because I like to harass Matt Gates because I hate him so much. So, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's a real uh, Campbell Rochester, you know?
1: He is, for sure. <laughs> I will not be surprised at all if he does his perp walk to jail in a blue cotton cardigan and Madras shorts. So... <laughs> see
0: how it goes i mean that seems like as good a place to end this extra drama as any let me thank you again <laughs> so much gladiators thank you for listening um tune in next week for the season finale of season six of sweet valley diaries it Yay. will be called that fatal night and i uh, remember you can um tell a friend about the podcast yeah. you can email me at sweet at me dot me.com And you can find all this Sweet Valley stuff at
1: SweetValleyDiaries.net. Remember to check out Libby's podcast. Yes. It's called Gotta Grow Up Sometime, and it's about a very stupid teen soap opera called Swan's Crossing. You'll love it.
0: I'm excited to check out both the podcast and the show. Maybe, is it an episode-by-episode thing? Could we do, like, a... It is. Yeah, it's episode-by-episode.
1: You can follow along, yeah.
0: I find that to be a fun way to watch or revisit shows you know so you can watch the show and you can listen to the episode oh yeah maybe people are doing that with sweet valley high novels (laughs) uh i wish they were easier for you to find if that's the case but uh most of them are on amazon here i am accidentally doing an amazon commercial again i do not want to do that (laughs) um and uh yeah that's it thank you so much
1: yeah thanks gladiators yay (laughs) thanks gladiators bye bye Sunday I, I a new person. would really love to come back for the werewolf. Jessica's dating a werewolf book. That is one of my all time favorites. And like a hundred percent. It's my favorite because they keep talking about a dog that's killed. Whose name is poo poo. And they just keep <laughs> talking about poo poo over and over again. Wow. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Oh man. Well, I feel Poo-Poo. like that's probably not going to be for a while. Yeah. It's it's a while down the line. So I'll come back before that too, but I totally okay. want to call dibs on the werewolf book. All right. It's so good. Cool. <laughs> That sounds great.